Amen. What does it take to be a faithful church? What does it take to be a faithful church? That's my sort of dream and goal um, and pursuit for First Baptist Church of Haverhill. Uh, It's not numerical. It's not budgetary, you know, having a thousand people in a multi-million dollar budget. It isn't renown to be known throughout the city, the state, the country, or the world. It's a church that is faithful to the Lord, that actually takes the word of God and lives it out, that the spirit of God is truly at work, holds to the gospel and the hope of eternal life, a church that genuinely and persistently looks to God. What does that look like in practice? I think that is how the Apostle Paul ends his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 12, going to the very end of the chapter. It's sort of a, a bunch of different commands, a bunch of different statements here, all brought together by basically an encouragement for the church to be faithful. Do you read with me? We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're hopefully going to finish the first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And then, Lord willing, we move right on to the second letter. The second letter letter is a little bit shorter than the first. And he comes to this ending here with these final exhortations. He's clarified their hope, which is based on the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and promises us the gift of of eternal life and his coming return for his people. So what are we doing until that day? We're seeking to be faithful. And that's what he calls the church to do here. There's an outline, as you can see on the screen behind me here. Uh, Respect leaders and be at peace, 12 and 13. Help one another out spiritually, 13 to 15. Uh, Be filled with the Holy Spirit always, 16 to 22. And then finally, keep asking God for sanctification. So he begins by talking about leaders. So think about this. This church is relatively young. 
It's only a, a few years old maybe at this time. Paul and his missionary team went there. They shared the gospel. People responded. They believed. Some, over time, perhaps matured a little faster in the faith. Um, and also showed some gifts of shepherding and leadership. He appoints elders there and then leaves them be. And by the way, that's kind of what a missionary wants to do. Uh, if you stay too long in working with a, a church, you become the elder. And that's not what you want. You want to see elders sort of raised up from within the congregation. Paul and his team get out of there and set it up. And now he says, when you deal with the way you deal with these elders there in your church is one of respect. We ask you to respect those who labor among you. They're, they're doing the work of ministry, whether that's full-time uh, or whether they have a job, but they're also seeking to do this work of shepherding over the congregation. Um, it's, a, it's a labor. It's a labor of love, for sure, but, but it is work. It takes a lot of effort. And, of course, we have elders today. We have paid elders, Pastor Mike and myself, and we have non-paid elders. We could call them lay elders, I, I suppose. Um, those from within the congregation, same as they would have had perhaps in, first, in uh, the, the city of Thessalonica. And it's a burden. Our elders have faced that burden over, the t- over time. We actually had two elders resign um, on, on good terms, um, but resign from our, our congregation uh, leadership for the time. So they're still part of our church, but they stepped aside from leadership. We have New elders being considered, but it is, a, it is a burden. And as he says here, they're over you in the Lord, and they admonish you. I'll just say, admonishing is no fun. <laughs> so admonishing is to correct, to rebuke, to confront sins. And part of the role of these leaders was to deal with the sins going on in the church. Nobody wants to do that. I've never met a pastor, just so you know, who really enjoys going to confront people about sin. It's not a pleasant thing to do. And so he says, esteem them highly. And he adds, in love, in agape. Which is neat, right? Because these aren't just typical leaders. Uh, The command isn't necessarily to, when you go to work, to respect your manager, your whatever, your employer, and love them. I mean, you do want to love them. You love everyone in Christ. But there's something unique here about church leaders. He's saying, do it with Agape. Same thing with your state leaders. We respect our state leaders. The agape part, I mean, we want to love everyone. But here's a unique sense in which he says about church leaders to highly esteem them, but do it in love. You honor the office of eldership, but you also care for the individuals who are serving in that capacity. And then he ends this first section here by saying, but be at peace among yourselves. Uh, There is no greater blessing you can give to church leaders than to be at peace. There's a reason why. See, it took someone as seasoned as Paul to make sure that command is connected to this previous command to respect and love those who are in leadership. Uh, Being at peace is what makes it enjoyable to serve a church. But I just want to, you know, maybe some people have some thoughts, questions about how, how do you deal with Church leaders, you know, maybe your, your, your history is dealing with priests and an ordained clergy that seems so far away from us. And so one thing I will remind you uh, is that church leaders, elders, whether paid or not, are just human beings. No more than that. They are sinners like every one of us. They are frail. They are mortal. They're just people. So it, it, maybe you've had that experience where there's such a strong separation. Uh, there really isn't. 
at the end of the day. And yet, recognize that pastoral ministry is a calling. Uh, To serve your church as an elder is a calling. Uh, It isn't just something you want to do one day and decide to do. There's something that is called, there is a calling from the Lord. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, if you can do anything else besides be a pastor, go do it. And his point was not, if you have the talent or ability or skill, he's saying, if you can comfortably, spiritually, in your own spirit, go do anything else, go do it. Because the calling of God should be so strong that you know you can't do anything else but faithfully serve his church in this way. So I just encourage you, pray. Pray for your leaders. I mean that, you know, for real. Not just, you know, I'm praying for you, Rick, but really actually spend some time praying for myself and Pastor Mike and our our elders, that the Lord be with us and give us wisdom, making good decisions. We will mess up. We do make mistakes, just as those in the church in Thessalonica did too. And I would just extend that beyond that, certainly to our deacons, to our staff who are faithfully serving on a regular basis, anyone in church leadership. There is, of course, a spiritual battle. We're battling for eternity uh, for people's eternal destiny, to the, the gospel to be proclaimed with clarity. There's a, there's a spiritual war that goes on. Pray for those in leadership. But I want to focus a little bit before we move on to the next point on that last part. Be at peace. Be at peace. As I said, um, as a pastor, there's no greater gift you can give me than being at peace. <laughs> that is the greatest gift to any pastor. Uh, be someone who is, who's not looking to stir up conflict. Be someone who is not cynical of everything a church does, who doesn't come with a critical spirit, ready to sort of put down anything everyone does and waiting for people to make a mistake. Don't be a gossip. Don't be someone who slanders. Don't be someone who's always looking for a fight. People are like that in, in certain churches. But more than that, don't. it's not only be someone who is not seeking a conflict, actually actively seek to be a peacemaker. Um, You know who the best person in a church is to stop a conflict? It's not the pastor or the elders, actually. It's other, those, others in the church who are just have a certain leadership that comes naturally to them that people look to. If you're someone who steps up and says, you know, maybe we shouldn't be talking about this, or maybe that's not a fair way to deal with a certain issue, That's the most effective way, they say, to deal with conflict in a church. But here's the point. I mean, why why be at peace? Um, Why highly esteem your leaders? Uh, Because then we can focus on the more important things. (laughs) We don't have to deal constantly with conflict resolution and dealing with different things that are going on, fights within a church. We can focus on the mission, which is just to make disciples of all nations. So as a, an example, imagine you're on a ship. Um, some of you guys served in the Navy and things like that. Um, if you really want to get where you're supposed to go, you need everyone on the ship doing what they're supposed to do. But if everyone in the ship is too busy fighting with one another and criticizing what everyone else's role is, you're never going to actually move <laughs> with any speed and uh, with clarity. So the more we focus uh, on, well, the more we have a spirit of unity, the more we can focus on the mission that God has set, set for us as a church. It's a good word, I think, of advice to the church in Thessalonica if they seek to be a faithful church. Respect your leaders and be at peace. But more than that, verses 13 to 15, 
We're, we're called to help one another out. How do we seek to be a faithful church? We, we have to help one another out. Uh, he gives um, the command to, about leadership, but then he has a, an application for really all the church. And he kind of talks about different types of struggles within a church family. This is true of any church, probably any church throughout the world, any church throughout history. Um, admonishment. Admonish the idol. Now, particularly, we talked about this in the church in Thessalonica, there may have been some who literally quit their jobs because they thought Jesus was coming back soon um, and depended on the church and others for their support. And he calls them to say, no, get back to work. We don't know how long it will be before Jesus returns. Admonish those who are idle. Could be that those who are are getting a little spiritually idle. Uh, They were expecting Jesus to return really quickly. It's been a little while, so maybe they're starting to slack a little bit here. Encourage the faint-hearted. There's always going to be some in a church who are just losing hope. You know, they're hurting. They're struggling with doubts. They're feeling exhausted. They're just tired. They're they're faint-hearted. Encourage them. Get them excited about the Lord again. Help the weak. In any church, there are those who are weak. There are those who are sick. There are those who are in a vulnerable place in life. I mean, our kids, I think we could say, uh, need to be cared for um, as perhaps the weak in comparison. And he ends by saying this, uh, that sentence by saying, but be patient with everyone. Any church is going to take patience uh, with each other. We're going to, any church will begin to annoy one another, <laughs> irritate one another, and sometimes even worse, sin against one another. And so he turns, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Straight from the teaching, of course, of Jesus to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, turn the cheek, learn to forgive, even as we have been forgiven. I notice this picture, though, of the church here. The church is a, is a hospital for sinners, as it has been said, not a museum for saints. Uh, it's, a, it's a place where we're checking each other's vitals, right? We're, we're trying to help each other continue to grow spiritually. I understand, in a church, everyone... Everyone is a sinner. (laughs) We all sin in various ways. Some people have very subtle sins that are not obvious, a little secretive. Uh, On the outside, they appear very okay, but they're really struggling with sins. Others' sins are just clear and overt. Another way to put it, as it says in the pastoral epistles, some people's sins go before them. They're obvious. Before they walk in the door, you can see it. (laughs) Others' sins trail behind. They come to light a little later on. But the church is filled with nothing but sinful people. Not only is everyone sinful, everyone is broken. Everyone is broken. Everyone has times in which you are faint-hearted. Maybe right now you're not feeling faint-hearted. You say, hey, Pastor Rick, my faith is strong. I'm doing well. I'm pressing on. Things are good. Praise God. That's awesome. But understand there may be a time in the near future or the far future in which you struggle with a faint-heartedness. Every one of us are weak at times. Physically weak, we all get sick, we all get old. Spiritually weak, in a vulnerable place, and we need a little help. Again, there's seasons in which all of us play one of these positions here. 
You know, somewhere along the way, churches decided to kind of put on a face and say, this is for good folks. <laughs> and we missed the fact that the church really is a hospital. It's just a bunch of broken, sinful people trying to follow Jesus who are called to help one another out. Uh, there are no perfect churches um, as, because there are no perfect people. I think First Baptist is a great church. Uh, again, my favorite church in the world, but it's not a perfect church. And so often I talk to people who are, are leaving a church because somebody said something, did something that was hurtful. Welcome to reality, right? And oftentimes when someone comes from another church and they're considering coming to First Baptist, I'll tell them, you know, I, that's, I'm sad, I'm horrible what happened to you. Understand, though, First Baptist is not a perfect church. The likelihood is people will say and do things that hurt you here just the same because that's every church. We all have issues, and it always takes grace and patience. But the calling here is to help one another out then, recognizing that, checking on each other's vitals. Who, who needs help? Who's weak? Who's faint-hearted? Sometimes someone needs admonishment. Maybe it's idleness or maybe it's some other sin. Sometimes you're the one who needs the admonishment and receive that well. Sometimes someone needs encouragement. They need a little help. Are you on the phone contacting them and seeing how they're doing and helping them out? We all certainly need to forgive, as he says here, don't repay evil for evil. The assumption is we will do and say hurtful things. And then, as he says, be patient. Be patient with everyone. You know, when you think about it, uh, there was, during this whole pandemic, there was that church, big historic church in the middle of New York City that they ended up turning into a field hospital with the expectation that it would be needed to treat a lot of folks with, the pan- with uh, COVID. Didn't end up being used, I think, uh, but it was ready for that. Imagine this beautiful, historic, just um, architecturally stunning, filled with all these different artifacts of history and uh, antiques, being turned into a hospital where sick folk go and healthcare workers come in and take care of them. In some ways, isn't that what the church really is? That it's a place where triage care happens, where we take care of those who are ill. And friends, I would say, if you are healthy, then get to work <laughs> helping those who are spiritually sick and needy. Friends, not only are we called to a faithful, not only does a faithful church respect the leaders and seek to be at peace, but a faithful church is called to help one another out. Third thing he says is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God is with us. The day you receive Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But we're called to a continual filling of the Holy Spirit, seeking the Spirit's work within us. He starts off here, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, I love that because he says, this is God's will. So God, we said earlier that one thing we can say for certainty is God's will for you is your holiness, your sanctification. People say, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what he's doing through what's happening in my life and through the job changes or relational issues. And one thing we could say for certainty is God is calling you to holiness. Here's another thing we can say with certainty. I know what God's will is for you. Not because I'm special, but because it's written right here. 
God wants you to be joyful. <laughs> um, in fact, if you're not joyful, you are being disobedient to the Lord. <laughs> really, Pastor Rick? Yep, the calling here is rejoice always. If we're not doing that, we're in disobedience. You say, well, how do you get joyful then? I mean, it's not like I can just say, be happy, and then I'm happy. Read the rest of the passage. So anytime somebody has a, a question about a, a specific verse, um, oftentimes I'll say, just read the rest of the passage. It probably will clarify your question. Uh, we pray without ceasing. The more time we spend in the very presence of God, the more perspective of life and eternity we gain, the more trust in him we have. And as he says, giving thanks in all circumstances. Yes, every one of us has issues and some suffer immensely and I don't have the answer as to why some suffer far more than others. But I can say this, all of us have an opportunity to give thanks for God's grace. His grace in the gospel and saving us through Christ is just daily grace of our families, our church, maybe our health, our relationships, the fact that we have a roof over our heads and food on the table. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then they see the joy begins to come. It says, don't quench the spirit. Uh, the spirit is the third person of the Trinity, so it seems strange to think, how do you quench God? But the idea is pretty obvious. You know, think of a little fire, a kindling fire. Uh, the spirit is at work in your life. He's transforming you. He's calling you to obedience. He wants to use you for the sake of the kingdom. He's working on your sanctification. And yes, you can continue to grow and mature, or you can give in to temptation, fall into sin, turn away from the Lord, turn away from church, turn away from other Christians, stop praying, stop reading the word, and quench the work of the spirit that's already begun in your life. One way he says that in next, the next section, do not despise prophecies. Um, by the way, you know, I, 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 I try not to myself. I've had people come up to me and actually say certain things. I, I, have, a, I have a prophetic word for you, Rick, and um, I, I'm all ears. Um, I want to hear what you have to say. Absolutely, I don't want to despise prophecies, um, even when it comes to things like tongues. Uh, I don't say, that's not from the Lord. I'm, I'm going to be cautious as to what he commands here. Uh, but, as he says next, test everything. I'm not going to despise prophecies, but I am going to test what you're saying. And he says, hold to what is good. By the way, there's a very simple, easy test for whether... Actually, there's two. Two, two very easy prophetic uh, tests of prophecy. Um, the first one is, is uh, very clear in the Bible, too. Um, is it true? So that's a very basic standard, right? If a prophet in the Old Testament prophesies something and it's not true, uh, according to the Old Testament, you stone him to death. Now, we don't do that today. So if somebody <laughs> gives you a word from the Lord and it doesn't happen, uh, don't kill them, please. That's, uh, that's under a theocracy. We don't live under a theocracy anymore. But you can certainly say, well, that wasn't from the Lord. And the second one, second test, it's very clear, does it point people to God or away from him? God's word never, ever points people away from Christ. So does that lead towards him? I think we could say the same about faithful, hopefully faithful preaching. Uh, there's a prophetic side to preaching. Is it true? Is it faithful to the scriptures? Is it to draw you closer to the Lord? And he says, abstain from every form of evil. 
oftentimes, of course, evil is pretty clear. Uh, other times, it's a little more muddled. And he says, you know, be careful. Uh, there's a certain smell test to it, right? It doesn't sound right. doesn't seem right. You kind of know in your heart. Stay away from that. Abstain from every form of evil. Here's the encouragement, though, to a church that's seeking to be faithful. God's spirit is at work with you. <laughs> Otherwise, this is impossible anyway. Right? He's the one. By the way, you know, you know, I grew up in a church, uh, not here, a different church, where we didn't really, I didn't really know much about the Holy Spirit. So that was kind of left out. And that may be true of a lot of folks who are listening, either online or here. Uh, you, know, you, know, you don't hear much about the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit everywhere. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God with his creation. Right from the beginning of Genesis, he is the one hovering over the waters. He is the, the active presence of God with his creation. He's the one who regenerated you. If you're a Christian, gave you new life. You were born again because the Spirit of God gave you life. He's the one who convicts you of sin. When you feel the weight of guilt, uh, God calling you towards repentance, that's the Spirit's convictions. He's the one who makes us into new men and new women. He's the one who gives us the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. He's the one who transforms us. He's the one who empowers us with his gifts to do the work of the kingdom and to be used by God to help others. The Holy Spirit's work is everywhere in the church, or at least it should be. Uh, And certainly, yes, the Holy Spirit does do the miraculous. He does heal, um, certainly at times. But again, we always test and use that test of whether ultimately it points us to Jesus or not. Calling again, the Holy Spirit, that's what a faithful church it does. Uh, there is a, a, um, his, his work is certainly at, uh, within each of us, and the calling is not quench it, not put it out. So what's the opposite of that? Kindle it. Let that fire grow so that you mature in having his work transform you and use you for the kingdom. The work we're seeking to do as Christians here in this church, in every church, is a divine and supernatural work. It's one that cannot be done by human beings. It is only done with God's grace and the work of his spirit. Which is why the last section here is a prayer. It's a benediction. It's asking God for something. Uh, He's asking God to sanctify. And keep asking God for our sanctification. He ends, as I said, with a benediction. Now, may the God of peace. So, requesting something of God. It's a prayer over the people of God. Like sometimes, most usually we end our service with a benediction. He brings together again the peace of God. He's the God of peace. He calls the church to peace. And this calling we've seen throughout the letter to holiness. He says completely. (laughs) May you be sanctified completely. And we might ask the question, well, can we fully be 100% holy? No, not on this side of heaven, but that's where we're, we're headed. That's the goal. Uh, if you don't have a clear destination in mind, you're never going to get there, right? So if you have the wrong destination, uh, you're never going to even approach where we're supposed to go. So the goal is full, complete, entire sanctification that we'll never reach on this side of heaven, but we're headed in that direction. It's similar to when Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Will we ever be as perfect as God the Father? No. <laughs> but that's the goal. And if that's the destination, and we, every step moves us closer to that. He mentions here, the whole of your spirit and soul and body would be blameless at the coming of the Lord. And then turns again to the faithfulness of God who will surely do it, not ourselves. We have these sort of last commands here. Paul asks for prayer for him, recognizing that again, it's God's grace and his grace alone that enables us to do the work that the church is called to do. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Um, Don't do that now. Uh, in fact, maybe don't do that at all. All right. So, um, if you're in a church in Italy or France, maybe that's fitting. This was, uh, by the way, they believed the kiss was usually on the cheek, and it was usually male to male and female to female in the first century. Uh, but it was just a very close greeting towards one another. Uh, maybe a hug or a good hearty handshake. And then he puts them under oath to have this letter read. This is how scripture came about, by the way. It's one of the more common questions I get, too. How did scripture come about? Did a bunch of guys sit in a room and say, what should be in the Bible? And pick books, you know, out of a hat, basically? No. What, what was used by the church already for centuries, by the 300s, when it was cho- sort of solidified, as recognized scripture that was used to, um, uh, to edify the Christian church? A lot of questions about this idea of the, the, tri, the triad there, the soul and spirit and body. Uh, people say, Pastor, what's the difference between spirit and soul? Um, the short answer is not much. They're, they're almost used, honestly, as, as synonyms of one another. There are two terms that are so close together that it's hard to actually see any difference between the two. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says that the, living, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to divide what? Soul and spirit. Something that is basically indivisible. That's how powerful the word is. If I had to sort of get technical, really the context is what reveals it, but the soul is life. Uh, in fact, the word for soul can be used as a term for life. At one point in the Old Testament, animals are said to have souls, meaning that they have life in them. They're living creatures. They're never said to have spirits. So there's a slight difference. A spirit is the immaterial part of us. One thing that's clear about what he's saying here in this prayer is that we are clearly more than our bodies. We are more than flesh. We're more than matter and atoms and molecules and stardust. (laughs) There is a spiritual part of us. And who you are, who you really are, your personality, your essence, is, it continues on even when your heart stops and your brain is dead. That your spirit goes to be with the Lord and awaits the coming day of resurrection. Calling here is to continue to ask the Lord for sanctification. He prays, he asks. May the Lord continue to sanctify you as we await that day. God is faithful, and he will do it. Friends, we're called as a church to be faithful. Faithful in the midst of hard times, faithful in the times of plenty. Faithful when our church is filled with a lot of healthy people, faithful in the midst of a pandemic where it sounds like, seems like somebody 
is sick and hurting, not even directly related to COVID, but every single week. We're called to be faithful. Reminds me of the fact that all pastors are interim pastors. You know what an interim is, right? Somebody that fills in for a time as the church is looking for a new pastor. All pastors are interim pastors because we all only have a short period of time before we pass it on to the next generation. I get to be part of a a long line of pastors before me. If you want to see who they are, go into the cafe and look down the hall. We'll get some of them at least. And likely, if the Lord tarries, many pastors after me. But the day I leave or retire or Christ comes back (laughs) or I die and get to watch from heaven, what I'd like to see is that First Baptist Church of Haverhill is a faithful church. Regardless of the membership size, regardless of the budget numbers, regardless of its renown throughout the world, it's a church that is faithful to the Lord, respects its leaders, it helps one another out like a hospital for sinners, it's filled with the Spirit of God, and continually asking that the God of peace would sanctify us until the day of his return. Pray with me. Gracious God, we, we thank you so much for, again, this 2,000-year-old letter that is just dripping with the spirit of God's inspiration so that we read it here in a different part of the world, in a different culture, separated by two millennia, in a different language, and it speaks to us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Lord, help us to certainly to respect those who are in leadership, the elders of our church, paid or unpaid, Lord, and to be at peace. Help us, Lord, to care for each other. There are those in our church, now as always, who are are faint-hearted, those who are weak, maybe those who need some admonishment, and to be patient, Lord, with one another. Help us, Lord, to continue to be filled with the Spirit of God, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, And not quench the work of the Spirit within us. And help us, Lord, continually, dependently upon you, asking that you would sanctify us, make us holy with our eyes on Jesus as we await the coming of our Lord. In whose name we pray, amen.